Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground. Alternative activists empowerment talk radio. Speaking truth to our and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro. That's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? I am a revolutionary. It's about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because ultimately, our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House. African descent fairly, America failed. She put them in chains. The government put them on slave quarters, put them on action block, auction blocks, put them in cotton fields, put them in inferior schools, put them in substandard housing, put them in scientific experience, experiments, put them in the lowest paying jobs, put them outside the equal protection of the law, kept them out of their racist bastions of higher education, and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America? No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God... Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. 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 Transforming Transforming truth truth to power, one broadcast broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. And good evening and thank you for being with us. This is Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham. And I'll be listening for you at 347-838-9852. You can join us in our chat room at Our Common Ground with Our Common Ground Chatters at blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG if you are listening on your smart device and you want to come in. We welcome you uh, to join in this conversation tonight at Our Common Ground. We're going to be covering a lot of those things which have uh, absolutely filled the news this week. And in our second segment of this hour, we're going to be talking about the Renisha McBride murder trial. Theodore Wafer was found guilty on all counts of second-degree murder. But there were some things that happened in that trial that we need to keep our 
ear to, uh, especially in both the closing arguments and the opening arguments about how jurors are being manipulated to act upon their instinct for white privilege and supremacy. We are going to be focusing tonight at Our Common Ground on the issue of police brutality. American law enforcement, a culture of white violence and privilege. What can we do about the siege of black people by local and state police? How do we demand that the culture of violence and thuggery be addressed by our government? People are killing, police are killing our men and women, brutalizing our children, and yet we forfeit our outrage with inaction. And I want to talk to you about that. Uh, we're kind of piggybacking on what um, Alpha talked about on his show last night and the whole issue of um, the white supremacy groups infiltrating uh, our police departments. But there's another aspect to it that I would like to add in this conversation tonight with you. And that is how the militarism, our milita- militarism of our police departments are changing how policing happens in our communities and the disappearance of what we used to call community policing. We hope that you will stay with us. Uh, Our number is 347-838-9852. And on these issues, I'd like to hear from you. Before we begin, as we have and are going to do for the next month, we're going to start with some inspiration from Chuck D. and Mavis Staples. Uh, in their new piece, uh, and I hope you'll enjoy it. And it's not working. What is going on here? Well, we'll forego that uh, for the moment because I'm not sure what's happening here technically, uh, that it's not playing. Um, but I really enjoyed this piece, uh, this piece and I said, um, and I let Chuck D. know that I was going to be using it Uh, for a while, because I think it's been a while since uh, we got some music that speaks to us. Music that speaks to us. Um, And I'm not sure why the music is not speaking to us right here. But um, our number is 347-838-9852, and I also want to do a shout-out to uh, my granddaughter, Imani. 
uh, who is returning to school next week, and she's having a, you might hear it in the background, she's having a big blowout of a party in our backyard. (coughs) I think it's really nice. Excuse me. I don't trust the, the mute button anymore. I think it's really nice when young people get together and they celebrate each other in this way. So she's giving a big uh, cookout, grilling chicken and uh, all kinds of foods and uh, did an interesting thing, which I had never seen, um, gummy, bur- uh, gummy bears and, and gummy worms soaked in vodka. Whoa. That sounds like something that I don't want to take a gamble on. So um, it's a really good time, and we're also doing a lot of celebration around here. Uh, My oldest grandson, Miles, will be 13 next week, and we're combining the Imani's party with a party for him. He's having a big sleepover. And today, a shout-out to him. Um, he finished the final uh, program uh, the second year at MIT STEM, which is science, technology, en- engineering, and math. And it is one of the most prominent programs in the country uh, for kids who want to um, get into the sciences and technology. And he got the uh, an award of the of the top four academic performers, and we are really really proud of what he was able to accomplish uh, this this summer at the MIT STEM program. So we're having a lot of celebrations. We may hear some of the noise of the hundred or so people that uh, <laughs> attending all of this. It's really, really interesting. And I want to make some comments about uh, today I was at um, I was at uh, MIT. And as most of you know, MIT, I am an alumnus of MIT Alfred P. School, uh, Alfred P. Uh, Sloan School of Management. And... Um, So uh, I was walking around, and it was really interesting to be on the campus again, and it was just loads of international people touring the campus with their little children, not big children, little children. Um, So I found that very interesting. I'm talking about uh, people who seem to be Chinese, Japanese, Korean, Indian, and they were touring as though um, as though it was um, as, as though it was something like a museum because they recognized the power and doing what what the power of that institution and one of the things that was said during the final during the ceremonies today uh for Miles's STEM program was that MIT is the world's foremost institution 
for engineering and technology. That's a very interesting thing. Very interesting. Um, I would really like somebody to tell me in the chat room whether I'm connected or not. Um, we have been having problems with our studio um, connectivity issues in our studio for a couple of weeks. So I'm not sure if um, this broadcast is going on. So in any case, I'm going to try this. I'm going to go to a break and see what we can do about this. Good evening, good evening. Hopefully you can hear me. All right, good evening, good evening. Hopefully you can hear me. Janice has a uh, connection, an Internet connection problem, and um, I'm going to sit in for her until she straightens it out. If not, I'll sit in for her, period. Welcome to our common ground. Um, the topic for tonight will be the violence of the militarized police department and the seemingly never-ending episodes, constant episodes of violence against minorities, especially the African-American community. We are dying at great, greater rates than any other minority at the hands of police officials, rent-a-cops, vigilantes, period. And that is one thing that we must uh, recognize exactly for what it's worth and all that it's worth. 
because that's basically what it's worth. We cannot, as a people, continue to go down this road. There has to be, there has to be a point of no return. We have to factor into this atrocity, this new lynching, this new Jim Crow, this clan infiltration of what seems to be a third rail when it comes to when it comes to speaking on it by the media to get our point across to allow the public to understand what's happening to us in our community. The militarization of our police department. I don't have the exact numbers, but I can tell you this. The majority of the police officers come directly from military background. The lack of empathy, the lack of sympathy in treating African Americans as human beings seems to be having a devastating effect on we as a people appears that none of our elected leaders are willing to basically put their foot down and say enough is enough. No one seems to be accumulating these numbers. Last night, and I'm going to try to pull it up and post it in the chat room, it's a, it was a video, and the video was a graphic depiction uh, to the background tune of this is what happens when you call the cops. Your rights get violated, and you will get shot. And that was really the theme of this particular song, but it, what was so... What stood out to me so much about this video was that it was a montage of violent acts against unarmed, handcuffed civilians, African-American, I mean, of all races, but the majority of them were African-American. Three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. If you want to chime in on this, please feel free to do so. We can we can discuss this. And I say we can discuss this, you know, last night at the very end of the program, um, I had a, a young man in in my chat room, and I've had him in my chat room before. I've had, I have somewhat of a mild history 
with this gentleman. He he appears, from my understanding of him, he appears to be a uh, law enforcement official, and he seems to have this blind eye, this tinfoil hat, to his history. And I don't think he's in a chat room. He's not a part of the program. And I'm not going to malign him for his beliefs. His beliefs are his beliefs. But they are so misguided. They are so unfortunate for a black man. And, you know, I I understand that you go through the military and there's a simple indoctrination. And there's an indoctrination of exactly who you are and who you can be when it comes to when it comes to exactly what it is you can put up with and what you will put up with. Three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. Let me go to the phone. One one one. Welcome to our common ground, and thank you for calling. Uh, I'm just listening. I just tuned in. I saw the show title, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm just listening. Okay, well, I'll put you back. I'll put you back on mute. Thanks a lot. Okay, I thought maybe that was Janice calling in. Her connection has been severed, and. And it's just one of our fans listen. I'm um I wanna thank him for his listenership. And uh we can we can continue with the discussion. You can I don't care how you draw this line and you know a criminal is a criminal. But once you are handcuffed once you have been, I would say, secured, why is it that we see so many open videos of just flat-out abuse? Oscar Grant, handcuffed, hands behind him, face down on his stomach. The officer said he thought he reached for his taser. Instead, he got his he, he had his gun and he shot him dead. Why, with his hands handcuffed behind him, with four or five other officers standing around him and him on his stomach, why would you even be reaching for your taser? And this is what's lost in the murky, gray, gray water of the words. You know, these people who offer up ridiculous, simply ridiculous reasoning. This defense of, I thought I was reaching for a taser, but the Oscar Grant's hands were, he was handcuffed face down on his stomach. Why would you even be reaching for a taser? 347-838-9852. Ah, this might be Janice. Let me go to 617-617, welcome back to our common ground. <laughs> Thank you, Alpha. Thank you so much. I'm 
I'm uh, flying blind here tonight. Um, thank you for taking over for me and uh, always being available for supporting uh, what we do. I don't know where you are. I, I, I even had problems finding the telephone number to call in, uh, which is interesting. You mean that phone number that you repeat and ask people to call in on a weekly basis? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I have gone through two notebooks looking for that number here. Uh, but, you know, one of the things uh, I wanted to do, and thank you everyone for joining us and for your patience, as it, this is not a technical problem with Blog Talk Radio. It is a technical problem in the Internet connection in our new home. Uh, we have had Comcast um, working on this problem for over a month now, and it seems that for some reason um, the Internet connection gets disconnected easily by... We, 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 nobody seems to know what the problem is. I have internet connection for hours and hours and hours and then all of a sudden I can't pick up the connection again and we thought we had resolved it on Friday and I suppose not but let us move on we are always uh, concerned about ensuring that you get the kind of uh, information that you need to assess what's what's going on, and since all of my notes and everything is on the computer in the on the Internet, we're going to try to guide you through this. But I wanted to talk about two things. Uh, one is about the issue of police terrorism that is pervasive in our community. We see it when we think about... Um, all of the major press coverage of young men like Oscar Grant and um, uh, young men like Eric Garner, uh, who was recently murdered by the New York City police uh, officers uh, in full daylight. And I want to raise the question about whether or not the increasing militarism in of our police department is creating an environment of violence and white supremacy. And I did mention when we began tonight that I'm piggybacking on some of the things that Alpha, and I'm glad Alpha is here with me tonight because some of the things that Alpha talked about on his program last night, um, when we put all of these puzzle pieces together and we think about the connection <coughs> excuse me, of the infrastructure that makes up a community, we have got to look, be able to look at the, the idea that and, and you hear me, if you're a regular listener on this show, you, you know that I talk about connecting the dots. 
uh, the dots of privilege that in, in these instances of having both the police department, the judiciary, the police union, the government, and the advocates not being clear what this is all about and not connecting in our public square the idea that the potential, and I read an article in the Atlantic uh, some months ago about the pervasiveness of the recruitment of military veterans coming back out of the war theater in Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, and Libya, particularly with high levels of PT instances of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And I think that we have to try and figure out whether or not these dots connect. In regard to the murder trial of Theodore Wafer, one of the things that I think that that we need to examine, forget about that I think it, but what we need to examine is whether or not we are seeing the proliferation of the terrorism that we see in our policing beginning to infiltrate private citizens who believe that at every point they have a legitimacy around killing black people. In the Renisha McBride case, I don't know and I would recommend that if you did not listen to some portions of that trial, that you do. In that case, it was very clear that you had a defense attorney who was trying to create a case that this white man was so fearful of black people because you know that they are evil, that they are always criminals, they're always up to some form of crime. So his fear as this young woman who had been in a car accident was legitimate was legitimate. So tonight we're going to try to compare and do some critical thinking about how these dots that you would have, for instance, and, and, and it's not just the New York City Police Union. It is, it, 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 uh, it is the union culture in this country that in a report three years ago indicated that while 38% of the members of American unions in this country, 38% of the membership is black, less than 1% of 1%, less than 1% of 1% of all of the grievances 
processed and submitted to management by these unions had to do with race discrimination. So we have to begin to ask ourselves, while we have been very supportive of whatever propaganda uh, labor unions bring to us, we have supported them because they're part of the Democrats and blah, 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 and they're, part of, and they're liberal and they're for our rights and our benefits. We have to begin to look at who are the unions, and we can do that in the context of what the New York City Police Department Officers Union had to say about the murder of Eric Garner. Now, if there are some of you who disagree that there are no dots, that, that it's all a figment of my imagination, Alpha will tell you the, 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 the telephone number where you can call. Where can they call Alpha? Uh, uh, the number to get in if you if you disagree if you agree or you just want to uh, chime in three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two you know Janice one of the most interesting things is and let me speak from a position of unions being a union steward and having some insight to the goings on of the unions. The unions are nothing more than an arm of white supremacy. They try to put up a front that all is equal because they have to, because their membership is grows. And so they have to placate the minorities the minority membership. And if, because if, if if it's so obvious that they are totally, totally on the side of white privilege, white inheritance, and white supremacy, there will be a problem. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. make no mistake, I don't, don't, don't fool yourself into believing that somehow unions, not just some unions, I was a teamster. And as a Teamster, not only did I see it in the Teamsters Union, I also saw it in the SEC, in the SEC, SEIU, and the Teachers Union, the ASME. I mean, it, 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 it really is nothing more than an extension of our American culture. The unions are somewhat insulated because they put up this false front to make it seem like they're all-inclusive. They bring in a black guy here, a black guy there, an Hispanic guy here, and an Hispanic guy there, but make no, no mistake, the people that they bring in absolutely have no power. And when I say they have no power, they have no power to a point where I had to be, and just a real quick story, I had to be included in the contract negotiations that uh, interstate brands had with Wonder Bread. I was a steward. And they knew not to bring me into the conversation or have me at the table would have been a problem with their minority membership. So they brought me in. And after two months of negotiation, the one thing that was telling to me of 
among everything else. When the talks got to a impossible point, the union president and the CEO of the company went off by themselves and hashed it out. But before they could come to an agreement, they called me to the room where they had talked this out to to basically clear it with me as if as if I was some type of bellwether, some type of, you know, voice. And I raised the uh, I raised my objection to the whole process. And I asked her, why would you bring us all here? If y'all y'all could have just did this in in a room by yourself a month ago. And they seemed to be offended, but I didn't give a damn. Needless to say, um, I wasn't um, on the most popular list. There wasn't anything they could do about it. But when I speak about the the canard that is uh, equal rights in the union, this is these are the Teamsters, and I was a Teamster for over 27 years, and I've seen it go from very, very, very bad to just bad. And that's where it stands. That's where it sits right now. Black folks have no power because black folks won't respect themselves. They won't really empower themselves by giving themselves a community and something to in which they can wield power. And you do that with money. I didn't mean to go off on a, a Janet. Well, you know, it, it's very important for us to understand how our politics gets informed by these kinds, this kind of reality. Because most people who are not in unions really believe that unions, because most unions, most labor, the labor movement is associated with the Democratic Party and many times associated with the kinds of candidates that people in our audience vote for, they, they don't take the time to examine exactly what these unions do. So uh, what I want to do is, do we have any callers? Before we start taking calls, I, I want to uh, give our audience a little understanding of how the breadth of the problem with policing as we think about how the police department, uh, the police union, um, just simply um, rode off in the sunset with the reality of what, as you've been saying for two weeks, of what our lying eyes told us. Well, Dennis, when when this police union paternal order of police said that 
uh, Eric Gardner was not choked. When everybody sees the video, and when they say Eric Gardner was not choked, and silence seizes the tongue of every black person in Congress, every black person on any cable station, the mere fact that they can parade themselves. And you see, white folks will do one thing. They'll come before a camera in force to make it seem to like a unified front. And if you notice that that picture when they said Eric Garner wasn't choked, there was one black man way in the back. He was too ashamed to get a clear shot of his face. He would just he Yeah, was because just he was probably embarrassed to be there, but required. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and, and don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Even as in the lowest position that I was in as a union steward, perks of being involved in that echelon in the union was, I mean, for a common person. Every time we had a meeting, my breakfast was free, my lunch was free. I was even supposed to be working my route, but I didn't have to, and I still got paid. So the small person, little things that buy you off, that is, you know, that's what we experience, that's what we've seen with the politicians. Once they get to a certain point, they are so easily bought off. And that's a problem. Yeah, you're 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 absolutely right. Let let let's take a look at uh this intro um an introduction to police brutality. have a very concrete police state here in the United States. Police brutality cases on the rise since 9-11 is disturbing and alarming at the same time. Federal prosecutors are targeting a rising number of law enforcement officers for alleged brutality. Sergeant John Miller and officers David Carey, Dennis Spaulding, and Jason Zulo. Charges include conspiracy against rights, excessive force, false arrest, and obstruction of justice. The officers abuse their positions of authority to deprive people of their constitutional rights under color of law. In simple terms, they behave like bullies with badges. The heightened prosecutions come as the nation's largest police union fears that agencies are dropping standards to fill thousands of vacancies and scrimping on training. It was five years ago this week that off-duty and drunk Chicago police officer Anthony Abadi Jr. went off on the 125-pound bartender who had refused to serve him any more alcohol. Not surprisingly, federal records show the vast majority of police brutality cases referred by investigators are not prosecuted. The police departments across the country have scrambled to fill vacancies. Does it look like he... Boom, boom, and now to the ground he goes. 
The recruiting effort, which often features cash bonuses, has intensified since 9-11, because many police recruits have been drawn to military service. The good officers know who the bad officers are. Veteran LAPD officers in trouble with the law. 48-year-old Jeffrey Quinton is under arrest accused of stealing from a luxury hotel in Laguna Beach where he worked while off duty. A deputy on the other side of the law tonight and out of a job, too. He's accused of using excessive force. Officers are supposed to be the peacekeepers, and in fact they are the hellraisers. This is what happened to Kelly Thomas. Strangers who watched helpless say the violent after effects that you see here happened at the hands of six Fullerton, California police officers. We must continue to unite and fight the brutality in numbers. A handicapped teenager named Jessie Kersey was stopped by police. Some of the teenager who also had a speech impediment tried to explain his condition to the officer, Willie Hooper. Well, the cops thought that he was being disrespected by Kersey. And in fact, court papers go on to explain that a neighbor who saw this dispute
Ten cents for some lemonade, guys. Two more? Yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much for your business.
Now, the sooner you learn that, the longer you're going to live in this world. SWAT members coming into this home, apparently they say to serve a search warrant for a murder suspect. And when they came into the house, there was a lot of confusion. A flash bang thrown through the window. The grandmother of that little girl, Ayanna Jones, also startled. Apparently, somehow the gun, according to Detroit police, went off. They're calling it an accident. The seven-year-old shot in the neck. Now, here's a little story I got to tell about three officers you don't know so well. It started way back last January with officers UNC Sec and South Duke They ran into a boy named Jordan Miles, a real good kid who for sure was mild. But he was found guilty before a trial because he's a young black man in the wrong part of town. Sandra, the victim did not live here, but he came here every weekend and stayed here to take his mother to church. But this Sunday, instead of praising, this family is planning a funeral, and they want to know why the victim came out onto his stoop, also near the stoop, an undercover officer. But how the confrontation unfolded from there is what the family is disputing. Quietly, his casket is carted into the Palmasia Baptist Church in Hayward. Once inside, the silence is shattered. Uncontrollable grief grips the hundreds who file into the church to mourn Oscar Grant's death and remember his life. Police say a 21-year-old man killed himself in the back of a squad car. But Carter's mother says that story just doesn't add up. Over the weekend, Carter was arrested in Jonesboro, Arkansas, for drug possession and a missed court date. Searched twice, handcuffed behind his back and double locked. But police say shortly after placing him in the car, they heard a loud thumping noise. When they checked on Carter, he was slumped over with the shot in the head and a small caliber gun nearby. Any given officer has missed something on a search, you know, be it drugs, be it knives, be it razor blades. This instance happened to be a gun. Police say Carter committed suicide, but how does a person reach for a gun and shoot themselves in the head while handcuffed? Carter's mother says her son was left-handed, yet the, he was shot in the right temple. What do you think happened to your son? I think they killed him. I mean, I mean my son was suicidal. Police are still investigating the incident. Jonesboro Police Chief Michael Yates admits the story is bizarre and defies logic and is now ordering and offering further details. We've reviewed the uh, dash cam video and as late as today managed to uh, have some witnesses come forward that observed the uh, incident from start to finish and uh, their statements tend to support that uh, whatever transpired in the back of that police car transpired in the back with the officers in a different location. Yates met with local African-American leaders and reportedly told them that the FBI is also investigating. The community wants answers. The point is, this is strange. You know, this, this is, and it certainly demands further investigation and explanation. It's not just a black thing. A human being died in the backseat of a police car while handcuffed. Amen, Reverend. Chavis Carter is dead, and we don't know why. 
The police report shows that Carter and just had $10 worth of marijuana on him.
He's moving, sir. Let's go, sir. The whole world is watching. 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 technology is everywhere. Its use poses unique opportunities and unique challenges for all of us. The same is true for police. If a video recording becomes a standard part of interactions with citizens, those who protect and serve may be forced to make some difficult changes in how they execute their public responsibilities. And the honest witness that video can provide is all too absent from many of law enforcement's most intense interactions. Cameras are everywhere and they can be a valuable tool for transparency and accountability in law enforcement. Not only should the average citizen be able to film if they think the actions of an officer are out of line, but police should employ cameras. They provide great evidence, and if there's a question, it'll show was their use of force justified. Freedom-fighting patriots believe quite correctly that it is their First Amendment right to film the police in public. And yet they, like so many across this country, are being told by law enforcement that they do not have the right to film the police. America, if we can't keep an eye on the police, how can we keep them accountable to the people they are sworn to serve and protect? We need an end to this East Germany-like infringement on our inherent right to free speech. You can film the police in the... Since January 1st, 2012, Police and a much smaller number of security guards okay, and self-appointed um, vigilantes break. have murdered at least and, 120 um, black women We'll come back and men. talk about this These whole idea are not of technology. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll come back and talk about this, because one of the things that was so prominent in the murder of Eric Garner in New York City two weeks ago was that there was a videotape. And now we have a police union who is trying to tell us that the police, that the videotape is not legitimate, that it was not a chokehold. And both the, the person that videotaped the event, the episode, is now in jail, and so is his wife. You're listening to Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you with Alpha tonight as my co-commander, 347-838-9852, and we'll be right back. Yay, 
You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now, back to Janice. you to join Peter E. Matthews on Soul Emergence, Tuesday nights, 9 p.m., Soul Emergence at TruthWorks Network. Where reconciliation is the tool of revolution. Soul Emergence with Peter E. Matthews, only on TruthWorks Network, the Black Voice Collaborative. You're listening to Truth Works Network, the Alpha Show. Declare real, raw, and right now. It's the I Declare Show with India Declare. 11 a.m. Friday and Saturday. End your week and start your weekend with real, raw, and right now. 11 a.m. Blog Talk Radio. I Declare it. Well, welcome back. James, uh, um, I found the eight the 809 listing here. So um, it's, I didn't know whether or not you wanted me to play the, the uh, intro, the entire 21-minute intro, because I know you don't normally play clips that long. But it was uh, most intriguing and most informative, because when you add all of this up, when you – this is like – I mean, the – readiness of police forces, politicians to push back on the voices that point out the over the very heavy handed police protect and serve on African Americans is more than sufficient enough to silence and drown out the voices of When the judges in the courtroom take their word, gospel, it's written in stone. They don't care how many witnesses saw the opposite of what the police say. They're going to side with the cop each and every time. 
Well, it, it's because it's all part of the same system. But what is so interesting is that was a clip that we used on Our Common Ground about maybe a year and a half ago um, as we were talking about the Malcolm X grassroots report every 36 hours. Um, and that report indicated that a black man is killed in America every 36 hours. So um, what has changed, and it is very, it is critically important for people to see this change, and it came with the Garner, um, um, it came with the Garner killing, is that you have a police department who is fighting back at this whole idea of using technology as a way of observing, examining, and keeping police departments accountable. The first thing that they did was they indicated that we should not believe what we saw on tape. And the second thing they did was to go after with an official harassment and even possibly a setup of the person who videotaped the event. Now, that's new, and I see we've got a caller, 954 uh, is on the line, and maybe they want to comment about this, this new defense uh, that police departments are starting to uh, employ, because if the New York City Police Department is doing it, that is a cue and a clue to how other de- police departments across the country can behave. 954, you're on the air. Hey, good evening, both of you, brother and sister. Uh, aloha. Good this, evening, good Rondé. How are you? It's not new. When I moved to California in 88, I forget this brother's name. He busted the Hawthorne Police Department. They wind up pushing his head through a window. This is the cops against the cop who was going against them. And it was filmed, videotaped. You get this brother, yes, Dominican brother, that's a cop on the 3-4 precinct up there in Harlem. He busted their NYPD cop about stop and frisk and how they harassed and just about threatened his life. So when I'm going to drive at here, we need to start dealing with our own who we help get these jobs, number one. Do you think these white cats will allow a Hispanic, a black, or Asian to come into these communities, help hold the hell out of these white folks in this country, or bring a white woman out and leave her naked in the hallway and no female cops? Do you think they would allow that to happen? we got to start dealing with our own people first since we got them these jobs. Well, I'm, I'm really glad that you, that you brought this up because one of the elements in the Garner murder is this, that this is Staten Island, and Staten Island is a very specific ethnic neighborhood in New York City, and these people resent the fact that black people began to migrate into Staten Island, and the police department has its own little segment 
of Staten Island citizens who are police officers. Let me share this with you, Janet. I lived at 800 Victory Boulevard in Staten Island before I moved to Florida. And how they went about harassing me and my wife after we didn't pay the rent. They busted in with the cops, no female cops, and I was getting ready to kill one of these son of a bitches because my wife, you know, all she had on was her night clothes, and I said, look, she needs to go in her room and get clothes on. You get a female cop up in here. And I saw how after we done paid these assholes the rent, and they pulled this number on. I know about Staten Island. I hate that damn borough. That's the worst borough over there with those racist Italians. I know what time it is over there. And I will never go back to New York and live. This is why people are leaving this damn country. But going back to my original point, we need to start targeting our own people first and bring that up into all these police BS meetings. At least the guardian angels came in with a good intent in the beginning to the NYPD just about to pull their Gestapo tactics on them with Curtis Sliwer and his people. And I try to help, I try to get help from them and the guardians. They ain't nothing, man. They started out good. And there are some good police out there, man. They need to be back. But the rest of these asses, they sit here and watch our people get murdered like this, and they're standing there watching? Well, we you know, the fact, that, the fact that no one went to prison, only one police officer went to prison in the Amadou case. No one went to prison on the Sean Bell case. And, and, and my point tonight is this, that we forfeit our outrage when we do nothing. First of all, one of the things that we have to do, and I agree with you, is to deal with the Citizens Civic Review Board. The one in New York City is clearly not working. It ain't working in Miami. It wasn't working in Los Angeles. Osla Beasley X, they had this brother face down and shot him in the head. So one of the things that we've got to do, and uh, a caller last week on this program suggested that one of the things that American people who are concerned about police brutality in this country, that we ought to be insisting that there is a law when police officers are held accountable for their behavior and cities get sued, that it comes out of their retirement uh, uh, benefits. And if there's not enough, then it comes out of the union's retirement uh, pool. We've got hurting to do them. something, around I know, and I agree with that, but hurting them in their wallet because these people are already that mentally deranged. Well, you know, you know I do they, think they can that hire a lot of less threatening-looking cops that are small and look effeminate, thinking that's going to change, and maybe in some cases they do, but not when they come five and six deep, and they're all white, and then you got brothers there watching this go down. Well, the thing is that brothers are the last hired and the first fired. They then don't have fired, the protection. Then. 
they don't have the protection of their unions in the same way that white police officers have the protection uh, of the union. And they know that they have to stay in line. They have to go along to get along. And there are white officers who go into the department wanting to do the right thing. But they have to go along, they have to go along to get along because it is not, you know, there are a lot of people who are saying it's about how they get trained and what they get. It has nothing to do with training. It has to do with the culture. And the culture is a culture of thuggery, gang mentality, and white supremacy. All right, and I'm going to leave it like this with you, sister. You know what? In addition, get rid of all these damn cop shows that are on TV and these lawyer shows and these judge shows on TV because that has helped full-fledged implementing this propaganda crap out here. And some of these scared-to-death niggas think when more white people get abused and killed, then it's okay. No, man, we're in this alone until we fight and stand for ourselves. You know, we had Ron it. Watson. Oh, God, I hope that's his name. I, I hope I'm not uh, giving him a wrong last name. Uh, on this on this program, a couple of years back, and I think it's time, to your point, Aranda, to bring him back, uh, to talk about the National Association of Black Law Enforcement uh, um, Officers, because you're absolutely right. Black officers need to come forward and reveal what's going on in these. That is their responsibility. We work to get them their jobs. We work to demand that they be hired into these uh, police force. <coughs> Excuse me, on these police forces. And you know what? You here we I'm are. Sorry not getting the information of a, for accountability that we need from them. But you know what? Let's support that one brother that did the stop and frisk and went and turned against the NYPD, uh, the Dominican brother up there. Let's start backing these brothers and sisters who do do it and make it known service to our brothers and sisters that we got in these damn positions that if you don't stand up for your people, the first bullets will fly will be against you, and then the rest of these get stoppled. You're right. Thank you, sister, for this time, and I mean that, man. Thank you. Thank you, Aranda, and we are Thank always you. pleased to hear from you. We hope you are safe in Hawaii and you're not too wet. Janice, uh, I want to bring up this, this, this issue. You know, we we have to fight back, and we have to fight back on every front. Now, I read a particular article that the police in one particular county in California, uh, were, it was mandatory that they wear the cameras and the microphones, and that it was the police officers themselves who took it upon themselves to dismantle those um, checkpoints, cameras. those the video cameras. The video cameras and the microphones. But in another county, the police were armed with the cameras and the microphones and the um, 
complaints went way down the just the pure violence went way down. Everything went down. And I think that that is uh, that is a different road we can take or, or insist on as a people. Uh, well, I, I think, you know, one of the things that we have to look at, Alpha, is all of the things that will work. We don't have a government. We don't have elected political elected officials who support those things, who will support those things. And that is one of the aspects that I think you're talking about when you say we have to fight this at every point. Uh, we have got to stop second-guessing our desire to be free. You know, I... I I had a, uh, an experience the other day when I listened to the hearing and the sentencing of Professor Orr at Arizona State University as she pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor after the police had brutalized her on campus because she was jaywalking. So now she is pretty much a broken woman, but I tell you, tear, and I, I want people to listen to what this, what, what people, what victims are crying out to our community that we can really connect to. Eric Garner, the last words before he said, I can't breathe, his last words on this planet was, this stops today. That's what he said to the police officers in regard to what he felt was persistent harassment because he was standing around and, and maybe selling cigarettes. Who the hell knows? He said his last words on this earth was, this stops today. This was a man who was desperately and understood the danger of standing his ground. Professor Orr in her hearing, said to the judge, I am not as great as I was before. I do not feel as free as I was before. If this culture of violence and white privilege continues to dig its heels into our society by police officers who are supposed to be protecting and serving, protecting and serving. Our children have no chance. I just, on the way from MIT today, I had Miles in the car with me. He's 12 years old. He just got an award for being um, uh, an out, the outstanding academic performance at MIT STEM. And I said to him, you have to be able to protect yourself from the things that can happen to black boys. That, too, 
caught in my throat as I told my 12-year-old grandson who has every opportunity and every bright future in front of him that he has got to find a way to protect himself when we are not there to protect him. And I'm talking about getting off the school bus and walking home. I'm talking about getting on the city bus, coming to going to basketball. I'm talking about standing in front of his house with a group of he's he's starting to be more social now. He seems to be in this bicycle gang or whatever they are. There are like ten kids who ride the bicycles everywhere. This is what we are doing to our children. Do you know, I want everybody in this audience tonight to understand how harmful that is. So, you know, and, and, and I go back to the Renisha McBride case where we are turning on her and saying she shouldn't have been drunk. And, and tonight before we go, and, and Alpha, I want you to play the clip, clip. Uh, I want you to hear for a few minutes what Tommy Curry, the Our Common Ground voice, had to say about that issue where the press, the members of the black community, we didn't get on this case early enough because we blamed the victim. Run that, run that clip, please, Alpha. You're predisposed to, I can find it right now. <laughs> you have to go to 809 no, oh, It's down at the bottom. I'm there already. I was. Uh, Says McBride being, Curry. I was being light, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you just mad because I got my shit organized and your shit is raggedy. <laughs> but it's still, for, for a raggedy person, it's still tough to find it. Here it is. Uh, yeah, today I want to talk about Renisha McBride and other deaths that are misconstrued for academic currency. Let's do it. Uh, W.E.B. Du Bois once remarked that if you say to a people the one virtue is to be white, the people rush to the inevitable conclusion of kill the nigger. Now, Renisha McBride is the most recent casualty of American racism in this country. Her death alongside the deaths of Ayanna Stanley, Darius Simmons, Jordan Davis, Kendrick Johnson, and Jonathan Farrell continue to give testament to what I'm talking about every week, which is the unflinching anti-black realities of racism in this country. Now, a few minutes ago, uh, about an hour ago, they recently released a toxicology report that, t- that gives evidence of the fact that she was drunk, saying that she had double the amounts, twice the amounts of alcohol in her system that's legally allowed, um, as if being drunk and being black is a crime. Uh, the problem I have is that in each one of these cases where we find black children, or even in the case of Jonathan Farrell, where a white woman called the police and he was assassinated. Uh, anytime that we have a conversation about black death, the black community is left without answers. And it's basically as if the black community is being told that these children, these people, are ultimately the own causes of their death. Uh, we wait for justice. We wait for answers. And the black community is left having a fading hope in the idea that the state or the law will actually enforce justice against white vigilantes or even rogue police state officers, right? And the reason this happens is because of a negrophobia. It's a negrophobia that white America has continually had with black people, and unfortunately it doesn't end, nor does it begin with Renisha McBride. 
Uh, her death is one, a, one in many of a long and ever-growing list of black youth that are dying in this country. Um, now, I just recently read an article by uh, Naloe uh, Rooks uh, today about the stereotypes that are affecting black women. I think for the most part her, her statement is correct. We do need to have a real discussion about the ever-changing and dangerous stereotypes that are affecting black women, especially when it results in the deaths of these sisters, right? But I think she misses a very key point uh, in calling for the attention to our analysis or our thinking about womanhood, namely that she admits that while black women are not considered women, um, she misses or she doesn't attend to the fact that racism and blackness denatures womanhood. In the masculization of these women, seeing them not as women or worthy of compassion, they're made into a thing. Uh, able to be murdered, uh, a phenomenon that we see constantly with black men. So when we saw Jonathan Farrell, the fear that they had of the black male body, when we see Trayvon Martin, allegedly a child who was convicted because he used concrete as a weapon, right? there's a way in which blackness denatures the natural rights that we assume men and women have or citizens have in this country. This is one of the reasons that anti-colonial scholars use the term of subjects rather than citizens because they understand that when you are an oppressed population within any kind of political entity, any sovereign state, that one of the consequences of that type of racism or that type of oppression is not to respect your humanity, is not to get at your rights and to make sure that in any interaction or contact you have with the legend superior race, that you are only viewed as a thing, something that they determine what your ultimate end is going to be. And this is yet another case where that kind of racism, where that kind of asymmetrical power relationship is occurring. And like the murder of our children before her, uh, her death is going to receive attention, uh, is going to be presented as injustice, but after they file charges or after a trial is going to be normalized. Uh, the sad reality of us talking about, you know, as we've talked about constantly on your show for the last year, year and a half, about black people dying, is that this woman uh, is going to inevitably become a symbol, but a symbol that is not going to lead to structural and systemic change. Uh, I, I read, recently read a column where they asked if she's going to be the next Trayvon Martin, but the author of that column misses something very, very important, uh, namely that Trayvon Martin is not even the next Trayvon Martin anymore. And the system, because of the nexus of racism, continues to persist. And while we marched in protest and we're continuing to have that conversation, which is something that I applauded that we should do, the reality of the situation is that the system depends on our anger and it depends on our disappointment dying down. This is how white supremacy and injustice sustains itself. This is how racism persists. It assumes that the people, the lower classes of people, let's be very clear, the lower classes of black people that are suffering the brunt and weight of violence, of anti-blackness, are inevitably going to have to be so caught up with life, so caught up and victimized by oppression, so caught up in their mere survival, that they're not going to be able to have the continued political involvement and intellectual conversations necessary to make inlets and to make breakdowns into systems of white supremacy. And you've heard me say this before, Rob. There's a very real difference between the black people who suffer the brunt of the violence by the police state and white vigilantism and the black people who make their careers writing about these types of deaths. Now, I've read very carefully all the social media reactions to Renisha McBride's death. And black academics and black pundits are, are doing the same thing that they've done through all the deaths of Kendrick Johnson, et cetera. Right? They're having conversations, and they're using these deaths as pieces to interact with, the mainstream, with mainstream America. But it's not mainstream America that just lost a child. It's not mainstream America that constantly loses their children, their little boys and their little girls. It was not mainstream America that had to rationalize the police state coming in and killing a nine-year-old Yana Stanley. That is not mainstream America. That is the black community. As the fear that white people have of the black community, and now that black people have to internalize because now they are, it's open season on them, that they have to functionally deal with. And this isn't something that we can write ourselves into. This is not something where we can write ourselves a solution to. This is something where people are going to have to organize and start putting actual strategies into place. Because I was upset when they were killing black babies, right, black children. But now we want to have a received attention because we want a new symbol. 
And while we can have all the symbols that we want any day, any you know, all through the time, from, from here to whatever, the reality of the situation is that the, the tragedy of this black woman dying is that it still allows us to give a normality to the negrophobic logics that keep letting white men and women kill black men and children without having Very, very, I would call that beyond deep. You can guarantee, I can guarantee you one thing, that Tommy Curry will never be on any Divided soul. It's divided. We're going to go to a break. We'll be right back. You're right, Alpha. We gotta love ourselves. Love you. 
Also, did I le- lose you? No, Janice. We got to get some pride. But they're fine. I mean, yeah. after you hear what what Tommy Curry, I mean, the bottom line of what Tommy, Dr. Tommy Curry had to say is that we have to commit to wanting to survive. And we have to start at some place. Well, Janice, let me say this. As many of us who agree with this, we're outnumbered 10, 24, maybe even more, by those who are simply not paying attention, looking the other way. If it didn't happen to them, it didn't happen. And if it happened to someone else, oh, it's a shame. We as a people have been indoctrinated that police are right and that nothing else matters. Despite the history of this nation, despite the history of the police with our community, we still have far too many of us who don't know we're being brutalized and murdered. It's kind of like Harriet Tugman. Back then, they didn't know they were slaves. Now, it's this depraved indifference to our fate. If this is the Ku Klux Klan, the new Jim Crow, and the new get-out-of-jail-free card if you kill a black man or a black woman or a black child, yeah, yeah. Hey, Alpha, I can't see the chat room. Uh, are we getting any comments in the chat room on this? Oh, well, yes, we are. Our incidents, um, you've got uh, YJ who brought up the uh, Stephen Simmons, the Florida pastor, who was um, shot in the head while in, a, in an incident of road rage on I-95 in West Palm Beach, Florida. And he when did that happen? Um, August 5th. It was published on August 5th. You know, that's my hometown. Uh, well. YJ, thank you for bringing us news from the Palm Beach Post. And Leah Gaines, who is the president of the Palm Beach County branch of the NAACP has been with us numerous times um, and um, I hadn't heard that and I well I haven't talked to to Leah this week so um, I'm sure that there's going to be some response about that from at least the NAACP and the Urban League Urban League is a very strong Urban League in, in West Palm Beach uh, any other comments well, let me say this, Dennis. Uh, I simply believe that there has to be a, an even larger critique of exactly how many African Americans, Hispanics are dying unarmed, are mm-hmm. dying at the, that are dying at the hands of the police department. Mhm. Mhm. We have to not simply take it to the Department of Justice. We also need to go to the United Nations. 
Well, I, there, there, there has been, there have been efforts uh, on the part of the Malcolm X Grassroots Movement, the U.S. Human Rights uh, Committee, uh, on this issue. But you know, the United States pays attention and uses the UN when it gets ready and when it agrees with an issue, and when it doesn't, it ignores the UN. It minimizes, marginalizes. Uh, the UN. It, it, it's, you know, we've got some sorry political structure going on in this country, and it's not just the GOP. Um, I, I, I want to thank you, Alpha, for pitching in. I hope we get our technical difficulties squared away by next Saturday night. I'm hoping to have with us uh, Dr. Umar Johnson to talk about. Uh, his work and to talk about um, his school for black boys that he has proposed. Um, he is a very strong and interesting mind, um, and I'm hoping to uh, get some res- responses in regard to how important to be able to have a national school for black boys uh, that is uh, going to try to transform the way in which we are nourishing uh, our next generation. So thank you, Alpha. Folks, don't forget, you've got to subscribe to us and follow us on Facebook. Um, We have got to get our numbers uh, together in regard to we have got to have a larger listenership so that we can have phone calls. I get very jealous, Alpha, when I listen to other talk shows. I mean, Norman Goldman uh, told me that his $5 subscription prog- program is going really well, even though he's increasing it, the price, to $10 come January 1st. He has 65,000 subscribers who are paying five dollars a month uh, to listen to his program I listen to some other programs where you have to pay to be subscribed to the radio programming and 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 those folks can't they don't have enough time to handle all the calls talk radio is about talking to the audience you have about 38 seconds Okay, thanks, everybody, for being with us. We'll see you next week. Thank you, Alpha. Don't forget to catch Soul Emergence Radio on Tuesday nights and the Alpha Show on Fridays right here. This morning thinking about the old me When I was feeling like Miller Lite and O.E. But now I ride on some consciousness I'm getting bread while I go to my accomplishments Only one like I have a problem with is myself That's probably why my only